This is the Stockton San Joaquin County Public Library. Browse from a great selection of fiction and nonfiction digital items in Hoopla. Hoopla also has a wide variety of popular comics for all ages. Library card holders are allowed four checkouts a month. Enjoy magazines and the great courses unlimited with a binge pass. A Hoopla binge pass gives you seven days of unlimited access to great online content with a single borrow. To get started, visit ssjcpl.org. And welcome back to Dark Fascinations. I'm Brianna, and as always, joining me is Jody. And this month, we read a book called "I'll Be You" by Janelle Brown uh, that has its basis in a couple of different cults: um, Nexium, Synanon. I can see a little bit of Scientology in here, and you know, it it covers a lot. Like it's child actors toxicity of Hollywood. It covers a lot, but that's the basis. Jody, do you want to give us a little rundown on the true crime aspect of I'll Be You? Yes. So <clears throat> I'm going to see very broad strokes of Nexium because there's so much information about it. Um, so many podcasts and docuseries and all kinds of stuff. So I encourage you to watch those because they are very interesting. And some of the podcasts were super interesting with actual interviews of the f- members and former members. It's s- supposed to be a self-help organization that promoted personal evolution and human potential development. However, in- inside the group, there was much more sinister teachings and even a subgroup called DOS. Essentially, DOS was a pyramid scheme type group in which all the women uh, he used to recruit his own sex slaves, basically. Um, And the women were branded with a symbol, and some claim that the symbol wasn't actually a symbol, but it was actually Ranieri's initials. And as you'll see, like in the book, the women were forced to produce what um, was referred to as collateral Mm -hmm. um, that could be used as blackmail um, to keep them from speaking about the group and all their inner workings. There was um, many um, psychological and physical punishments, um, you know, restricting food, keeping them on very very strict diets and calorie counts. Um, And like most other cults, you know, they're cut off from family members Mm -hmm. and friends, um, paying lots of money for all these seminars and videos. and he had been convicted of pyramid schemes before, um, so this was not new for him. Um, and his co-leader, was her, Nancy, is that her Nancy. name? Nancy. Yeah, and she has a history of being a psychologist or counselor, yeah. so she was extremely um, a large part of the manipulation and getting mm-hmm. people to do what they wanted. Of course, this leadership program was, you know, offered to, you know, wealthy people, children of wealthy people, famous people, um, executives, leaders, politicians. And it was trying to teach them to have uh, more joy, more find more joy in their life. Um, but that's, you know, not what it really was. 
and he got convicted and he's serving a 120 year sentence he got convicted of sex trafficking forced labor conspiracy wire fraud racketeering and then Salzman Nancy she only got 42 months for conspiracy and racketeering and um his other leaders, like Claire um, Bronfman, who is the um, part of the Seagram's family, so very wealthy, mm-hmm. uh, she is a senior group member. She got jail time and fines. And then Allison Mack, who was like his, I don't even know, like his right hand woman. I think um, like big recruiter. She was, she yeah, she was like, people. she was a big part of DOS, the DOS group side. Um, she, she was recruiting the women to be, you know, his sex slaves. Um, she pled guilty on sex trafficking and only got three years. Um, and he still has loyalists outside the prison dancing and protesting. And he's still directing them from prison. Yeah. So that's, there's so much more. And I mean, there's just pages and pages of information, like how it all got started and all the things that went on inside. But it's, I mean, we'd be here for hours. We could. And there are, like Jody said, there are so many documentaries you can watch. There are so many podcasts you can listen to about Nexium. And I would kind of recommend watching all of them because Jody and I were talking prior to this, but there's a documentary from HBO called The Vow. And then there's another one on, I believe it was Stars called Seduced, uh, both about Nexium, but two very different perspectives on Nexium and how it went. I mean, both obviously saying Nexium was terrible and ruined these people's lives, but the vow was almost sympathetic towards Keith Raniere, but also I think to cover people who were in Nexium who did terrible things in Nexium, <laughs> um, trying to give them a better spin on, you know, themselves. It's very fascinating, though. So I'd recommend watching both perspectives. Yes, agree. And in this, I didn't watch the other one. You should watch it. It's really good. Oh well, I'll add it to my to watch list. (laughs) It's like it's a more deep dive into Nexium, but into the 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 darker side. Yeah, the darker side. But I think like it gives a more true aspect of what it actually was like. As opposed to, you know, some people kind of glossing over the hard parts because they were involved in the dark parts. Because they talk more about the DOS group, the like the subgroup part where they're like the women are held down and branded with the cauterizing mm-hmm. pen and, and um, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like in the vow, the perspective that you're getting are two people who were the top recruiters for their offices. Obviously, they had to do a lot of shady things to recruit mm-hmm. people. They had to collect collateral on people because they're, I mean, it is, it's it's an MLM type of pyramid scheme. So, obviously, you know, they want to go up and up and then they need more people below them to, to do the same thing so they get more people involved. And so, in the vow, it's these top two giant recruiters who are kind of also trying to make themselves not look as bad. <laughs> Uh, for for what for their participation in Nexam. Yeah, no, it's super fascinating. Like I listened to a couple podcasts and it's too. It's it's and those were very different also. 
um, the takes on those. So, I mean, it's super interesting. People, people, I think, view cults differently. I find them fascinating no matter what. Um. I think it's fascinating. It's a, it's an interesting study of like human behavior and kind of makes you think like you would, you know, you think in your mind like, oh, I could never join something like this. I would never. But then on the other hand, you're like, but would I? Because really, all of these people, it's not that they're not. They're all very educated. They're you know, worldly, they're not necessarily, they have like the best of the best, but they're still looking for something. And that's like the core aspect of, of a lot of people who do join groups is they're looking for something that they feel like their life is lacking. And they're vulnerable in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And that's what, and that's what the leaders prey upon. And that's where like, you know, having someone who has a background in psychiatry, you know, makes it even more dangerous because they really know how to manipulate you they and do. what to, what pressure points to push mm-hmm. to get you to where they want you. They do. Because in the book, Dr. Cindy is kind of a combo between Keith Raniere and Nancy Salzman because um, she is an ex-psychiatrist, but she's also the head of of this group called GenFem. Um and she's, it's an interesting amalgamation of, of people, but yeah, so let's just jump right in to I'll Be You. Uh, I'll Be You has two main protagonists. Um, it's twin sisters, identical twin sisters named Sam and Ellie, and Sam and Ellie are pretty much inseparable. As small children, they play this game where they pretend to be the other one, hence the I'll Be You title. Um, and they're, they're like, you know, they have a pretty idyllic childhood for the most part until they get discovered on a beach, uh, while they're building a sandcastle by a talent agent who sees potential in having twins because child labor laws, um, obviously children can't work in anything really for long periods of time. But if you have twins, um, then they can play the same character, but you get twice as much screen time for them. I always think, like, when I thought about those, I thought instantly about the Olsen twins. <clears throat> and because I feel like it's it's a kind of a similar dynamic. Well, she but, does so, say that she was inspired by the Olsen twins, the author. Interesting. Yeah, um, she says that she was inspired by them and she was intrigued by the behind the scenes workings. Um, of the twins because it is it is in itself a fascinating character study because they're they're two distinct individuals but forced to play the same person and how that especially as a child how that will affect your development ultimately um your sense of self because really neither i think of the two sam has the most sense of self but neither of them really are comfortable being individual they always are with each other or being each other and it's really hard for them to to break out and do things on their own well they were even saying i don't remember who said it but they were talking in there about like the only way to really be a separate person from a twin is if you're not raised together yeah they said that at the end Um, but i don't think that's true i think like if they had had like a better and their mom wasn't bad, but she definitely 
wasn't didn't great. Foster, she didn't foster their individuality at all. Um, mm-hmm. She wasn't great about that kind of stuff. So, like, I mean, if you have, like, the right environment and the right parent, I think you can, you know, twins can be them yeah. themselves. But I think this um, is, like, kind of the worst case scenario because mm-hmm. they were forced to pretend to be the same person. The same person. Mm-hmm. Over and over. And then in addition to that, um, they so after they get their big break, they start kind of doing small roles, commercials, things like that. And then they get a bigger break and they're on a show called To the Max, which is like a crime detective drama where they play the detective's daughter. And this, I think, is really where their sense of selves get skewed even more. Because Ellie doesn't like acting. Like, she doesn't want to do it. She's only doing it for Sam because Sam likes it so much. And Sam is really good at it. And Ellie is just, she hates it. And she wants to take a break. And so Sam starts to be Ellie and Sam in this role. Because in, I think, a lot like the Olsen twins, too, in Full House, um, each twin plays, like, a different personality aspect of the one singular TV characters and Ellie played like the kind of sweet daughter side and Sam played the like the harder more emotional part and now Sam is doing that as Sam but also playing this person as Ellie and that has to like twist up your sense of self because you're being three different people and trying to play it off this is also when Sam's addiction problems begin. She's like, what, 12 or 13? Mm-hmm. And the hairstylist gives her Adderall because the, the hairstylist and makeup person, she can tell that, you know, this is not Ellie. You could clearly, this is Sam being Ellie because she's looked at them both extensively. It's also fascinating that the mom chooses to not see it. She knows, mm-hmm. but she chooses she not to see it. She ignores it. Mm-hmm. She chooses to ignore it. And so this hairstylist gives Sam Adderall because Sam is like tired, burning the candles at all ends. She's tired. She's playing her part. She's playing Ellie's part and she's going to school. Um, And I think that's also like, this is kind of a telling of child stardom too, in certain senses, because they don't really have a lot of school, at least in this book, they don't really have a lot of school. So they're not really gathering a lot of outside skills outside of the Mm -hmm. Hollywood industry. Um, They're basically just acting. And it's like to the max end, their character gets killed off, but they get an even bigger part where they star in a Nickelodeon TV show. And this time they're playing twins. So both get to appear on the screen and the show is called on the double and they actually get to hang out with kids their own age, but Ellie hates it. And the only reason she agreed to do it, she didn't want to do this show is because Sam like broke down crying and like emotionally manipulated her into doing it. She She full on, she full on acted. Yeah. She did. And so Sam's, you know, substance abuse issues just kind of really, they get worse and worse and worse and worse. The the longer she's in this Hollywood industry, they just get worse and worse as it goes on. Um, and Ellie is covering for her and their mom is kind of turned a blind eye. Uh, I can, 
And it's, it's tough too. And I think, you know, if you hear interviews with a lot of different child stars, I think the one that I think of the most is the Culkin brothers, but like the parents are reliant on the income that you're providing to them through your acting role. And Sam and Ellie's parents were very reliant on the income brought in by their show on the double. They bought a new house because of it. And so there's pressure coming from a lot of different angles. And I think, and it's like, it's hard to say why the mom did what she did, why she didn't intervene, why she didn't, she chose not to intervene or she chose not to notice. And she sees, you know, her kids kind of spiraling out of control. Um, but well, she, she chose has, not to. She has like her own like issues as well. Like she keep she gets like obsessed with like a new thing all the time and trying mm-hmm. a new thing all the time. So she, I mean, she has like her own like you know no sense of self either. I don't think that she tries all these new age things and then she gets obsessed with something for a while and then moves on to something else. Mm-hmm. And so I, she probably just doesn't know like what like what to do yeah and the dad like their dad is not super in the picture um he's just kind of like on the periphery he yeah he's around and he works but Um, he works but he's not like directly involved yeah he just defers everything to the mom i think he doesn't Mm want to have to have any friction with the mom so he just lets her handle the whole career aspect of the girls kind of thing and stays out of it because he doesn't want any drama. Yeah. That was like the sense that I got from him. Just kind of like, I'll be here in the background. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't want to be involved in any of this. No. And I think it's in this show on the double with Sam's substance abuse where the two girls kind of start to find their individualities a little bit but like they almost are caricatures of each other like they're polar opposites um so it's hard to say if that's like their actual individual self or if they're still just playing off of each other in a different way mm-hmm. instead of being the same person now they're going to be two very different polar opposite people um because it, it kind of all comes to a head where sam is partying and um, she like wants Ellie to to do things with her and be with her. And then I think the breaking point for Ellie was when Sam had her be her and have her first kiss with Sam's boyfriend. And Ellie did it and then was like, oh, no, <laughs> I can't. I can't do this anymore. I can't. I can't do this. I don't want to act. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want any of it. Yeah, that was one of her trigger her trigger points when Her she's trigger in the, points. Yeah, in, the cult, in the cult the cult training to dr cindy um and so she you know she's like i can't do this anymore i'm not going to be on this show so their show gets canceled and sam doesn't i mean again like and it's not like so they did go back to school in between the show to the max and on the double they did go to like middle school high school And the kids were not nice to them at all. And Mm -hmm. Ellie tried really hard to fit in and Sam didn't want to be there. She wanted to act and she wanted to continue living that lifestyle. But, 
even after the show, Ellie kind of is able to to have more of a sense of a normal life than Sam. But it's only, it's still hard to say because it's not normal. Because, <laughs> you know, they're pretty well known uh-huh. in certain circles for their TV shows. And the kids are nicer to them now because On the Double was such a big hit. But it's hard to say whether those are true friendships or not. But Ellie is kind of, she wants to lead a normal life. She doesn't want this anymore. She wants to go to college and and do that. And Sam doesn't. So this is like their first big break. They're no longer living together. Uh, uh, Ellie is living at home in Santa Barbara. She's going to go to college. And Sam is trying to pursue an acting career on her own. And she goes to their talent agent. And the agent's like, ooh, that's going to be tough. Yeah, and they say it in the book, too. Um, it's difficult to transition, especially when you're twins, to transition from child roles to adult roles. Because, like, when you're kids and twins, in the book, they say it's, like, really cute. And people are like, oh, that's adorable. And then when you get to be an adult age, it's not so cute anymore. It's in, it's a little, it's different. Um, yeah. And Sam has a really hard time like getting roles and it doesn't help that she is really spiraling in her addiction issues. So she's not on time. She's not, doesn't remember all of the lines that she needs to remember. Uh, It definitely doesn't help her in her career. Um, And she just really starts spiraling and Ellie is living a more normal life. Uh, At this point, I think she's gotten married or engaged at least and Sam is kind of in and out of rehab um, just so they do get subsidiary checks uh, for on the double um, that are pretty pretty extensive like it seems like they get quite a few royalties but Sam just like squanders all of hers and Ellie's been saving them but Ellie also uses it to put Sam in rehab um, to help her out and Sam it doesn't work doesn't take um this is like this whole first part is such a huge swath of the book uh we'll get into it a little bit later but it's it's just it feels like this whole chunk like it's leading you and leading you and leading you and then by the end of the book it's like oh that's it (laughs) it's kind of Uh a letdown Jody and I were talking about that earlier it's kind of like a very anticlimactic what happens but um so Sam's in and out of rehab, and then it kind of comes, again, they have another breaking point in, in their relationship where, and it, it's so fascinating, most of the breaking points in their relationship involve the other one impersonating the other twin, mm-hmm. and it never goes hence, well. <laughs> hence the I'll be you. I'll be you. <laughs> it never goes well, but um, so Ellie and her husband now are having a really hard time conceiving. And Sam falls off the wagon again and takes it into her head that she'll be their surrogate, but in like the worst way possible. Um, And she tries to sleep with Ellie's husband pretending to be Ellie. And clearly that's not going to go well uh, by any, any (laughs) stroke of the imagination. And it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's like the breaking point um, in their relationship. And they stop talking. And then, so Sam kind of really recommits herself to rehab. And when we see her again, she's seven months sober. um, And she gets a call from her parents being like, hey, 
you need to come to our house to take care of this niece you didn't know you had because uh, we're like we're older and we're tired and Ellie wants you to do it. Um, so Sam comes back to Santa Barbara. She meets her niece named Charlotte. Uh, her mom says that Charlotte was adopted by Ellie and Chuck. Um, and the adoption didn't come through until after their divorce, divorce. basically. Chuck moved to Tokyo for his job. <laughs> can get any further away. Uh, so Sam comes back home. And it's like, it's hard for her because home is a trigger point for Sam. Um, her parents especially, like her mom especially, because her mom really just anticipates the worst of her and expects the worst behavior of her. And I it's mean, hard, rightfully like, so. Yes, but you fall back into those familiar patterns that aren't necessarily good for you to fall back into. And for, you know, for Sam and her mom, those familiar patterns are Sam messing up. And Sam's been really trying hard to not do that. But it's hard when, you know, you're kind of forced to be back in those familiar patterns. Um, so Sam is in Santa Barbara with her parents. She's taking care of Charlotte. It, Charlotte got very confused when she saw Sam because she thought she was her mom. She was very sad because they're identical twins. Um, and so she's taking care of her niece. But then Ellie is like not coming back. She's she's. At supposedly at this like wellness retreat and it's only supposed to be for a couple days but it's been a week and then it's been two weeks and she's not she's not coming back and she's, she's not and texting she's, anyone or calling nope, anyone back she's not texting anyone but clearly the texts are being read because she's got the red notifications turned on so she can see that you know all of the texts that sam is sending ellie are being read but ellie is not responding back to anybody um and just like what's going to happen with Charlotte? Like you have a child now. Why are you not responding? Why are you not coming back? This is only supposed to be for a couple days. So Sam takes it upon herself to investigate. Um, and she doesn't have to look real hard. And again, this is like a thing with the mom where she just chooses not to see things. Cause Sam really doesn't have to look hard to find out that her sister has joined this group called Gen Femme which the sister's neighbor says is very culty. And she's at a retreat in Ojai with Jen Femme. It does, she doesn't have to dig very hard. Like, I think she asked, like, two people. <laughs> well, yeah, and then she finds, like, a binder, like, in her sister's room, like, full of stuff about Jen mm -hmm. Femme, all their classes, and then all the money she spent. And yes. she had, like, a, I think she had, like, a sixth sense that something was wrong in the beginning. Yeah. Anyway, because well, it was just weird anyway that she had left her was, daughter. Because she's the responsible one in mm -hmm. this pattern that they're in. She's Ellie is the responsible one. But also, like, if you walked into your sibling's house and, like, they were going on a trip and they knew they were going on a trip and they had left, like, food in the microwave, I mm -hmm. would be like, are they okay? Mm -hmm. Did they leave of their own free will? And she thought it was weird, too, how there was, like, no pictures of Charlotte on social mm -hmm. media. And their mom didn't know anything about the adoption or anything no. like that. And there was many, many signs that, <laughs> that things were amiss. 
many, many signs that the mom chooses to ignore and the dad is just oblivious to. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sam is not, and Sam's going to find her. And in addition to the spinder that she finds with the GenFem information in it, she finds a list in her sister's handwriting of three addresses. Um, so she takes it upon herself to go to these three addresses. She doesn't know what they are. She thinks that they're gem, um She doesn't really know what they are, actually, because her sister also has a florist business. So she doesn't know if it's related to the florist business that her sister has, if it's related to GenFem or not related at all. So she goes to these three different addresses. um, And the first two, she doesn't really find anything. There's, you know, she's like, she she doesn't really know what she's looking for, but she doesn't find anything. And she doesn't really find anything until she goes to the third address in Arizona, where she finds out that Charlotte is not Charlotte at all. Charlotte is Emma Gonzalez. A missing child. A missing child. (laughs) Not Charlotte at all. Not adopted. Potentially kidnapped. Uh. And that really starts to change the game. And she's like, Sam tries to impart this on her, on her mom and be like, something is up here. Something is really wrong. And her mom's like, no, no, Ellie wouldn't do that. No, you're wrong. No, that's not right. And Sam is like, I, I mean, this is black and white. I don't know what else to tell you. Clearly, Ellie did it because nobody else was here. Yeah. Well, I- she didn't tell her parents about that missing because she found that missing poster for the child. Yeah. She didn't tell her parents about that because she didn't want to put that on them. No. So they don't know that part. But she did try to hint at, you know, this is not a legal adoption that has happened. She here. did. And she's trying to impart that, like, GenFem is not the group that it's made out to look like on the outside. And her mom just not won't listen. Yeah, because her mom's into like you know women's support groups and all these new age things. So mm-hmm. to her, she thinks it's like oh, oh, it's fine, and she thinks Ellie's you know smart and the stable one that she wouldn't get into anything that was, you know, shady or whatever. Well, that's you know not like Ellie. Like if it was Sam, she probably would have believed that it was a cult right away. Absolutely, but not Ellie. Yeah, but not Ellie. Uh, So then we kind of end this first part, um, Sam's search, and then, well, I I guess we don't end it quite yet, right? Because she finds Ellie. Well, Sam did go and try to get into this OI retreat thing, and there was, you know, people with shaved heads walking, and they wouldn't let her in, and it was all real weird. It was really creepy, too, when the one lady was like, she's ours now. (laughs) <laughs> she's not your sister anymore she's ours now yeah that was that was creepy um and so so she found her she knows she's there but she can't get to her and then part two is ellie's part where we kind of see all of the decisions she made and how it led up to this point um, her joining a cult <laughs> her joining a cult which she admits that she joined a cult like, I think in the first part of Ellie's part, she admits that she joined a cult. And it's kind of like all of the steps that led her there to how how that happened, how she joined that cult. Um, 
And she was really lost. She, I, again, I think because Sam and Ellie were such a duo and they were like almost interchangeable, she never, they, neither of them ever really formed in their own individual personalities and they didn't form like the structure to be separate. And they're having a really hard time being separate, but they're forced to be separate because of circumstances, but they're having a really hard time adjusting to it in their own ways. Um, and Ellie also, like, she really, really wants to have a family and she finds out that she can't. Uh, she's infertile and that like adds more fuel to this fire of being lost and trying to find something to make you feel better, something to make you feel like you're a part of something. Um, or, you know, that you need support that you're not getting from your absent twin and, and your mom who chooses not to see anything. Uh-huh. And she finds Jensen. And she thinks, like, this is, you know, the answer to all of her prayers because Dr. Cindy is going to make her strong. She's going to make her independent. She's Because uh, Sam, Sam has always been the strong twin, and Ellie's always kind of been the kind somewhat like pushover twin and Ellie is like I want I don't want to be that anymore I want to be you know my own person I want to be strong in my own person and Dr. Cindy can make that happen for me all I have to do is just give them three hundred thousand dollars sell my house (laughs) (laughs) which is she makes her confront all her supposed trigger points and you know just fuels her anger towards Sam and her yeah. wanting to be away from Sam and, you know, they keep, you know, reinforcing the fact that Sam is toxic and then they start in on her mom being toxic mm-hmm. and you know, all the, you get rid of these toxic things and you can, you know, take back your power and you can do all these amazing get things and get what you get, what you want, which she does, you know, she gives her husband an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. We adopt or you're out of here. He doesn't want to adopt. So he's out of there. Um, you know, just all these things like that. She finds out Sam doesn't have the same genetic infertile um, condition that she does. And that really um, triggers her because Sam doesn't want a family. Sam ended up donating eggs to get money. And so that really triggers Ellie because here she is, wants it, can't have any. And Sam, in her mind, Sam's just throwing, throwing them away. Yeah. And how unfair it is that, of course, Sam would be the one that can have them. Blah 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 blah. Um, so that's you know, and of course, Dr. Cindy to the rescue um, to prey upon all these insecurities, these, these insecurities that Ellie has about her life and all these things, and then you know, and makes them, them conf- into like weapons. Yeah, it makes her confront them and um, make her feel like she's accomplishing things and moving up levels and her goal is to end up being a mentor um in gem yeah so you know and she knows she's spending all this money but she's like oh it's okay i'll be a mentor and then i'll you know i'll have a salary as a mentor and Mm -hmm. but i i think i'm sure in the back of her mind she always knew that this is probably not the best thing i should be doing um she did leave her leave you know I mean, daughter I at some point a lot of points that she knows that this is not right like her 
basic sense is like, oh, this is this is not correct. This is not right. Um, I would I don't want to do this. I don't feel this way necessarily. I love my mom. I love my sister. Uh, this is not really me, but they're kind of forced to they force the point for her to really make these big decisions that she doesn't want to make. Um, yeah, they and, make her confront the the child thing. And so she pretends to be Sam. Yes. To get all the information about where these egg donors live. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she goes in and pretends to be Sam and gets all this information and then goes and hunts them down. Yeah. Which and these watches, are the three addresses that Sam goes to. Watches that the children. That she didn't realize. It's creepy. You know. Yeah, With her, her mentor. Her, her mentor who's really pushing her to watch and, you know, take it in, feel the pain, feel the anger um, until she gets to the last one that she kidnaps. Yeah. Little, little Emma, who later little becomes Emma. Charlotte. And she knows she shouldn't be doing it. She knows that it's wrong. And she knows she's kind of like crossed the line she can never come mm-hmm. back from. And she tries to justify it like, oh, the grandma wasn't really watching her. Mm-hmm. She wasn't safe out there. I'm actually saving her. Um, you know, and then she acts like it's hers because it's Sam's and they share DNA. So in her mind, it's her. It's it's her daughter. It's her daughter. And it should be with her. It should. Well, and this is like the whole part of Gen Femme, right? This is how they really make you stay is they get you to do something that you can't go back from like kidnap a child or <laughs> in uh, Ellie's mentor's part, burn down your ex-wife's house. Uh, and then they have you write a confession. And this is your, this is your collateral, just like what Joey was describing with Nexium. Like, this is your collateral. This is like, if you decide to leave, we can use this collateral as blackmail. And then you can't. This is how they can get you to do stuff like this, you know, how they can get you to donate more money or sell your house or, you know, all of your worldly possessions and give them to Gen Femme. And if you don't, like, how could you not? Haven't we done wonderful things for you? Like, and if that doesn't work, like, we have this that we can use mm-hmm. against you. So now she has a child, but then she has to go to the retreat so she, mm-hmm. she has to her. go to the retreat because she stopped going to meetings because raising a child by yourself is hard. <laughs> it's not easy. It's no. a full-time job in and of itself. And so she stopped going to the gem femme meetings because she doesn't have time. Also, she's like emotionally traumatizing this poor baby who doesn't understand why she's here, who this is, what's going on. And she's got, you know, they've got a lot going on well yeah and she doesn't want to have like people babysitting and stuff because again this child is kidnapped <laughs> so she doesn't want you know her face out there or on social media or any of these things so she's trying to do everything herself and kind of just stay low-key yes but then and they you know make her come back and she has to go on this retreat so she has to have her mom babysit and then mm-hmm. this is where we are and this is where we are. And she's on this retreat. And then we jump back to Sam. Because um, Sam ha- is going to save her sister to come 
tell her high water. She's going to get her out. And she shaves her. She remembers the ladies with the shaved head. So she shaves her head. She gets one of the smocks, like what they were wearing. And she just kind of busts into this compound uh, and pretending, again, pretending to be Ellie. And it worked. She gets in. Yeah, pretty easily. Pretty easy. Yeah. She's just, you know, she's in. Which they talk about later, too. Like, how did they not know that that wasn't Ellie? Because when she does see Ellie, they look totally different. Because Ellie's lost so much weight. She's got bug bite scabs all over her legs. Her cheeks are hollowed out. She has dark circles in her eyes. You know, and Sam's, you know, been fine. And looks perfectly normal. So it's like, maybe they wanted, they knew who it was and, like, wanted, you know, to bring an end to it. Who knows? think so i wouldn't give them that much credit i think maybe the one lady who was with them ruth maybe but i feel like you know your brain will just connect the dots automatically based on what your prior knowledge is and i think because they've seen ellie and they've never seen sam they just assume it's ellie just because that's what their prior knowledge is i wouldn't give them that much credit (laughs) i was just giving maybe ruth credit because she (laughs) was in the same position as Ellie where she didn't really want to be in there but they had her collateral and so she was kind of stuck too she was and you know she she wanted certain things that she got from Gen Femme but now she also realizes that they're a pyramid scheme and she wants to make money at the top yeah so she she's gonna be a mentor and get a six-figure salary yeah get get a part of all of this money that these people are donating like they're donating their entire life savings to dr cindy um and she wants to get she wants to be a part of that um and so it kind of all comes to a head it seems like we're rushing it but this is how the last bit feels it's like there's so much buildup of the sam and ellie story and then this last bit where like, you find out all these pieces it's just like it's like 50 pages Oh, yeah, like when Sam runs into Ellie um, in the compound compound. Mm -hmm. and like Ellie's not like upset that she's there Mm -hmm. and she like wants to leave, too. They don't fight. There's no like, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. She just willingly wanted like, yeah, let's leave. Yeah, because Ellie wanted her to come. She was trying to use like twin telepathy. That's why she said, like, get Sam. Sam will know what to do. Yeah. Because she wanted out. She's ready to leave. And so Sam like goes down to like the group meeting thing and, you know, causes a big stir. Um, once they realize that, that she's Sam as a distraction to get Ellie out. And while Sam's doing that, Ellie's stealing her file with her confession. Yes. And everyone <laughs> else's <laughs> confession. <laughs> this part made and me And then laugh. they leave. And then <laughs> because they leave. it's like a very, it's like an in your face face moment like it's not subtle at all where they're doing this thing where you know you stand in the middle and everybody yells at you about how terrible you are and how much you suck uh and one of the and so like sam gets in and she's like i'm not gonna take it i don't have to which clearly is not ellie and one of the ladies in the back is like i watched a documentary about synanon and this is what they call the game i'm like wow <laughs> So not subtle whatsoever. Just laying it out there. Um, that made me laugh. 
but it's uh but yeah so they you know they get all of these files which nothing is locked uh they just are able to walk into dr cindy's office the file cabinet is locked but they're able to pick it with the paper clip um and it just pops right open they grab everybody's file uh they Ellie breaks into Dr. Cindy's car and grabs her laptop and they just walk out. Oh, very That's anticlimactic. It. They didn't they try to walk stop. Out. Yeah, they didn't try to stop them or nope. Nope. anything and like then, that. <laughs> like the wild thing to me, this also is kind of funny, is so like they broke out, they're out. They go to their mom's and dad, like their parents' house. Their mom greets them and it's just like, oh hey. Not like their daughter's heads are shaved. They're wearing these weird white smock dresses. And there's like even blood like, on like Ellie's dress Ellie, and everything. Yeah, nothing. And then she's just like, she took to Sam. She's like, oh, thank you so much for saving Ellie. You're like the good twin now. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, if as, you know, a mom of twins, if my two showed up at my doorstep with shaved heads wearing these weird... <laughs> Like matching white outfits. Bleeding. Bleeding. I'm going to be more than like, hey, what's up? <laughs> what are you guys up to? <laughs> right? And yeah. then Sam's just like, we're going to take Charlotte now. You have to say goodbye, mom. You're never going to see her again. Kiss your <laughs> and granddaughter. Mom's like, okay. <laughs> well, she was like upset, but she's like, oh, I didn't. Oh, oh. I mean, you had to, like, know that there was, like, a weird thing going on. She's like, oh, she was just a foster child. You have to return yeah. her now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what it was. You're, mom. You're, so, you're so smart, mom. And then they do. They take Emma, Charlotte, yeah. Emma. They just take her to her house in the middle of the night, park Leave down the street. The lawn, go through the backyard. The yeah. <laughs> Run away. Run away. And, Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no punishment, and you know the parents no are happy. Think it's a miracle by Gog. They assume she was dead. They thought she had wandered out mm-hmm. into the desert. Didn't it wasn't even a big news story either. No, because they because well, they didn't think she was kidnapped. They just thought she wandered out into the desert and died Daddy, out in the desert. She just magically reappears. Like you'd think that'd be a bigger news story. I mean, you think not. so. I mean, how often do kidnappers return children they've had for a few weeks? Just put them back where they found them. And it's not like if she had wandered into the desert, she would have wandered back perfectly fine and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't alludes to them not investigating anything because the parents are just happy that she's back. Yeah. And then they just end up living together, running the florist business together. Mm-hmm. Sam's got a boyfriend now. And they're just, you know... This is their their new life. No punishments. No punishments really for anyone. I mean, there was a a tiny news story about Gen Femme. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Cindy is probably in Mexico, they said. Ruth might go to prison, maybe. But not even for Gen Femme, but for the collateral. Her collateral. Which was a Mm -hmm. college admission scam. Um, which is not nearly as bad as some of the other collateral that the women had done, uh, like murder, kidnapping a child, and murdering someone, and burning down a house, and uh, all these other things. But that's when we were saying it was just kind of like all this build up, and we thought, you know, something 
tragic and horrible was going to happen. And it was just kind of like, wah, wah. Literally. And it was so fast, too. Like, I mean, truly, this book is not even that long. It's like maybe, it's not even 400 pages. And the first probably 250 of it are Sam and Ellie's childhood. Mm-hmm. And then the last bit is everything else, like the big part of the story. And that's it. Oh, yeah, because they made it sound like Gem Femme was like so sinister. Like the first time she went there, she couldn't even get in. Nobody would talk to her. They were mean. Mm-hmm. Even when she went to like the center in town and they wouldn't talk to her or let her look around no, or anything. wouldn't give her any information. And then later she goes in and then they just walk right out. Yeah. That's With it. files. With files. And a laptop. <laughs> that's it. The end. That's it. The end. And we're and just going to return this child we've yeah. kidnapped for how long? No repercussion. Nobody saw them. Months. She had her for months. Yeah. Like a year, didn't she almost? Yeah. It was a yeah. long time. I mean, that and that poor kid, goodness. What psychological yeah. damage is she going to have? Right? How many parents do I have? Is what I'd be asking. Right? Well, and then it was kind of sad, but the only person she was asking for was Sam. At the end, well, and she then got back. She kept mentioning Sam. Well, Sam, she called her Mimi, um, but and Sam is her biological her mom. mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which you know is interesting. Yes, but there's no repercussions. I mean, are they? Do they look over their shoulders? Are they a little scared? They're gonna hear about it. Yeah. But there's really no repercussions, and it doesn't seem like there will be because, like, months go by and there's no mention of Emma's kidnapping or, like, family seeking, you know, using authorities to seek the person who did it. There's nothing. And then they burned all the files. Um, yeah. So that they couldn't be used against anyone, anyone in the group. They still uh, have a laptop, though. Yeah. And Sam, you know, read a lot of the confessions. And mm-hmm. she could have used it to get money and, you know, get back on, you know, track with financially with her life. But they burned them. They did the right thing there. They did. Yeah. It just, it was, I mean, overall, I enjoyed the book. But the ending was a real letdown. It was entertaining, but also they nobody was very likable. Which you have trouble rooting for people when they're not, not like that likable. Like the parents were not great. Ellie, not, not great. great. Sam, not great. Sam was great. They Sam was great in the way she, she stood up for herself, though. Well, she's great in the way she, you know, went for you know stood up for her sister and went, mm-hmm. you know. Her sisters will always be her number one. Right. Um, which is good. But otherwise, not a, not a great person. <laughs> no. Really not. Yeah. Nobody. And then they just walk away. And then they just walk yeah. away. And then literally, like, the last sentence of the book is like, and we'll watch the sunset and the sunrise together. <laughs> they, they have gone off into the sunrise. That's it. Well let down. We've done all these shady things, impersonated people, broken confidentiality, you know, contracts. Fraud. Committed fraud. Kidnapping. Crossing state lines. Kidnapping. Um, And yet, 
we're just going to go off into the sunset. No big deal. Nope. Live our lives in Santa Barbara. <laughs> it was entertaining, but yeah, there it could have been. It could have been more. It could have been better. It could have. It could have. But alas. Yeah, some more of the cult stuff would have been good because that's like the fascinating part. Yeah, that would have. Because I mean, and it was fascinating, like just the siblings' relationships with each other. And, you know, how they were never able to form their own senses of selves and their individualities was really fascinating. But, I mean, it feels like the book was just trying to do almost too much mm-hmm. in too little time. And nothing yeah. really got fully fleshed out. It was definitely too short because of all that buildup. And then the cult part was almost like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it yeah. did have a lot of similarities to Nexium, which was interesting. A lot. The, like the, the sufferances where they could only have 300 calories a day. That was a sufferance mm-hmm. if they didn't do something they're supposed to do and um, all those kinds of things. Or sleeping out. She had to sleep outside in the cold with no blankets for three days. That was a sufferance and mm-hmm. um, things like that. But all very interesting cult problems. It really was. Yeah, that was I'll Be You. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. If you read it or if you didn't, that's, let us know. And <laughs> we hope you join us next month for a new book based on a true crime story. Bye. Have you met Libby? Libby allows you to borrow ebooks, audiobooks, and magazines instantly. Browse films through Canopy on Libby as well in the Extras section. Download the Libby app for access on your smart devices. To get started, visit ssjcpl.org. To stay up to date with library news, follow us at ssjcpl on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at ssjcpl.org.